and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And this week we're picking back up where we left off on the deranged topiary of human evolution. This week, in the second of our three episodes in the series, we're talking about the first hominins that really start to acquire what we might think of as human traits. Yep, but first, to sum up where we've been, 145 million years ago, we've got our oldest mammalian ancestor. The little shrew-looking guy? Yeah, the little three-shrew moon. Yes. Primate ancestors come next at 30 million years ago with Egyptopithecus, with its monkey tail and molars that we inherited, and then Proconsul at around 25 million years ago with no tail, but a mix of ape and monkey characteristics. Uh, Our first maybe bipedal ancestor, still a mystery, is Sahelanthropus chidensis at six six to seven million years ago. There's Chad. And then at around 6 million years ago, we've got Aurora tugenensis, and both of these are from Eastern Africa. And then we wrapped up with the two Artipithecus species, Kadaba, between 5.8 and 5.2 million years ago, and then Ramidus later at around 4.4 million years ago. The big trends that we talked about were the move towards body structures that enabled bipedalism, as well as a shift in the shape and size of teeth to become less ape-like and more like what we have. And all of this, everything that we know about these distant relatives of ours, is from very small bits of information. So it's incredibly rare to find fossil hominins, and that's especially true for those that existed millions of years ago. As we move forward in time, we've got a bit more information, a few more specimens, so we know a little bit more, sometimes, when we know anything. So all of these guys so far have been found in the continent of Africa. That is correct. Okay. Uh, They've not been found anywhere else. Not the earliest specimens, no. Right. Okay. And so is that, is that like a geology thing or is that a, they only exist there because they only developed there? It's like somewhere between 145 million years ago and 30 million years ago, what happened? (laughs) Let me give you a brief rundown of 115 million million years. Yeah, it is accepted right now with the information that we have that the evolution of humans can be traced back to Africa. This wasn't really widely accepted until as late as the early 20th century. Um, by then, yeah, so by, by then, you know. Well, I mean, I guess it, it was accepted like 35 million years ago. Well, they accepted so it, but they also yeah. <laughs> didn't call it Africa, but we're we're here. I think it was probably I think it was probably connected to other continents at that point. Okay, so the idea that humans evolved in Africa can be traced back to Charles Darwin. So he wrote The Descent of Man in eighteen seventy one and speculated in it that it was likely that Africa was the place where humans evolved because our two closest living relatives are found there. You find chimpanzees and gorillas in Africa. Um, Oh, yeah, right. Right, and so the idea is that they didn't travel far from from where everybody sort of branched off. And and that's correct. Like, all of the earliest specimens are found in Africa, and so we're pretty confident no earlier specimens have been found anywhere else on the planet, and it's not just a a trick of geology. Um, All of the specimens, the species that we're talking about today, come from Africa. So... Okay. They're all found in Africa. And so at this um, sort of this point in the Earth's history, 
uh, from that point forward, it's less a matter of major tectonic shifts the way we see like with like dinosaurs and like early mammals mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like the Wallacean lines, right? No, like that we were, talking we're not about, standing like, still and the earth is moving under us and, and taking us to different places. After this, right. it's more a case of populations it's, themselves getting and it's up just and going like, somewhere. And what's changing on a global scale is like climate, right? That's what's That's happening right. and like mm-hmm. shifts in sea levels and and temperature and like vegetation and stuff. Yeah. So that's right? exactly right. And and it's especially okay. key that around 9 million years ago, um, the climate in Africa started to change much more towards uh, a savanna environment and it became much less forested. So overall, I think the global climate shifted towards a more arid environment, but especially in Africa, the forest started going away. And that's and so really this- important. Uh, and so that fed into what you had mentioned last week about those ideas around what um, encourages or incentivizes bipedalism, that the idea was that they would just stand up, but they started standing up and walking around when it was still a forest. Something like that. that. Yeah. So, okay. it, well, the idea, the idea was that the, yeah, the incentivization of being bipedal started with these open savannas. And all of a sudden, once you wanted to move to a new patch of resources, you had to travel across open landscape. Um, that ended up maybe not being the case because we had these early, um, ancestral hominins, um, and, and that's wrong. That's not exactly the case because we had these early ancestral species um, showing bipedal characteristics and living in probably what was a woodland environment. So bipedalism evolved maybe independent of that environmental shift. We're not really sure why exactly it developed still. Well, you... In your research, sorry that we're like not even at the new content yet. I'm like very remedial about all of this, but like in your research and like looking at um, like adaptive strategies, mm-hmm. um, like way later, but would it would it it would makes it makes sense to me a person that knows very little about any of this corner of anthropology that um, if you've got members of a population that are gaining the ability and over generations like lots of generations like gaining this ability from like traits that dispose them well towards bipedalism Um, by the time the climate changes wouldn't it just put like individuals with those traits at a like a evolutionary advantage yeah totally that like they would they would be the ones that survive and the ones that are still like bopping around on four legs are the ones that get gobbled up before they're able to make little like baby (laughs) hominins. That's uh, that's probably a big factor in in why bipedalism. Is that a good rudimentary grasp on evolution? It's a a grasp on the trait that was positively selected for. It's not a grasp on the reason why we developed bipedal walking in the first place. Okay, so yeah. we don't know why we started it, but we know why we probably kept it. Exactly. Okay, great. All right, I feel good. Let's talk about hominins. All right. So <laughs> here come the hominins. So hominin is is a word that refers to the family members of modern humans, and I mean that literally. So when in science class you learn about the designations of all living things, you learn about kingdom, phylum, class, order, family genus species i learned it right. with the, the mnemonic kings play cards on fat green stools um 
I, I think it was know. something about King Philip when I learned it. Yeah, it's like King Philip is coming over for great sandwiches or something like that. The F is family, and that is okay. the the group that contains all of these hominin species that we're going to talk about, and it also contains orangutans, chimps, and gorillas, and us. Hominidae, which is all the hominids with a D, includes all of the great apes and uh, the, the primates, including gorilla, orangutan, chimpanzee, and bonobo, and us. So hominins, um, mm-hmm. so these are our ancestors, yeah? Like our that actual right. ancestors. Like, mm-hmm. okay. So we're like on a branch now. Yeah. Um, sort okay. Of. Yes. Let's so, call it a branch. Um, I know we're like 15 minutes in, but of our second episode in the series, but um, if the other ones aren't our direct ancestors, why? Did why you have we talk about them? <laughs> Did you just get overwhelmed by the futility yeah. of it all in the middle of that question? Yeah. No, it's okay. I got <laughs> no, to know if reason. I going to finish the question because what if I didn't like the answer? No, it's okay. But it's, it's still a, a part answer. of anthropology, even though they aren't anthropoi. Well, they're not our direct ancestors, but there still is a very good reason to look at chimps and gorillas and some of the other species that we're going to talk about. So everybody that we've talked about so far from Egyptopithecus onward has been our ancestor, but... In episode one that we've already done of this series, the species were anywhere from 30 to 4 million years old. So the resemblance between us and them isn't as obvious. But there are traits that we share that all primates have. So those include things like having five digits. You got five fingers and five toes, right? Well, I mean, 10 of each. You have opposable My thumbs. Uncle had six. Well, that's a genetic thing. But for the most part, all primates have five digits. Okay. So that's... You've also got opposable thumbs on at least your hands, if not your feet. Some primates have what? them on their feet too. Oh, okay. I thought. No, no, no. You don't have them on your feet because you're bipedal walker. We'll get to that. So opposable thumbs means that you can touch your thumb to each of the tips of your other fingers. You can directly uh-huh. oppose them in motion. That's what yep. that means. Yep. You've got fingernails. You don't have claws. Speak for yourself. No matter what you do to your fierce fingernails, they're going to be nails and not claws. Primates also have high mobility in their hips and shoulders, so we can all shimmy. Um, <laughs> and, and we've got clavicles, which surprisingly is kind of unusual among mammals. So our, our collarbones, your clavicle, is mm-hmm. a feature that um, sort of strengthens your sort of shoulder girdle. You have your pelvic girdle and your, your shoulder girdle. So it's, like, so it's like buttressing our, yeah, so our, it's for, our arms? Yeah, and it's, and it's a relic of our climbing around days. It supports that very, very mobile shoulder joint. And so we see all of these traits from Egyptopithecus forward. So in a way, it's just as interesting to see those traits 30 million years ago and then see them develop into the set of characteristics that make humans human. It's also interesting to see those traits in the groups that branched off from our lineage, so like the other apes, and we can see how we're similar, but also where different evolutionary paths have taken our respective species. So we can see where cognitive development has been different. We can see where social development has been different. So there's all kinds of really interesting things that we can see about our own species and we can extrapolate and and learn about these ancient species that we we can't observe anymore because, you know, they're all dead. 
but we can learn things by looking at the existing primate species. And so from Egyptopithecus, so Egyptopithecus was the first creature that we know of in the fossil record that had the five digits and the opposable thumbs. No, there were, there are older fossil primates, but Egyptopithecus is the first species that anthropologists have identified as being on this branch that eventually leads to humans. Okay. The other ones are just like a little too monkeyish. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Okay. This is what this episode is going to cover. We're just going to talk about the Australopiths in this episode. These are the immediate predecessors to our genus. So remember I said kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. So we're in the family, the hominin family, before we get more refined to the genus Homo that, that we're in right now. You and I are Homo sapiens. And so yes. Australopiths are the first hominins to definitively walk bipedally, at least some of the time. And in some cases, we think to use stone tools. So like last time, I'm going to go through this, the species and give you some of the, the highlights of each species that we know about. And um, in some cases, I'm going to be able to go into a little bit more detail because we have better information. So first up, we have... Um, oh, and I want to attribute, again, this is a lot of this information is pulled from the Smithsonian Institute's Human Origins Division and their wonderful interactive timeline and their, their super great website on, on human origins and, and fossils. So thanks to them. Big shout out. My hand okay. is raised. Yes. So these are Australopiths. Mm-hmm. Does that mean? It means ape. What? A pith, okay, so it's not southern ape. Okay, southern mm. ape. They're southern apes. Mm-hmm. So they say y'all. Hey, hey. They have they have great manners. Um, and, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. And sweet tea. Yep. Okay. Okay. What other generalizations can we make? I'm making positive ones because I, I know am part I know, of it's this great. category. Um, Absolutely. So. Okay. Oh, I thought I was like, so we have, I got this. So we have, we have the Australopiths, our southern apes. And, and the first species is Australopithecus anamensis. And they roamed eastern Africa about 4.2 to 3.9 million years ago. So this is the first Australopith that we have evidence for in Africa. We have 21 fossils in total. That's not individuals. That's not 21 Australopiths. Oh, wow. It's 21 bits, pieces. Bits of- yeah. So it includes upper and lower jaws, uh, fragments of cranium, and the upper and lower parts of a leg bone, and a small fragment of humerus. Anamensis shares a lot of traits with Australopithecus afarensis, our next species, and so um, it very well might be its direct predecessor. So we've got next Australopithecus afarensis. It's only found in eastern Africa in the area of what is now Ethiopia, ish and they lived 3.85 to 2.95 million years ago i know it's getting into like little differences in numbers but keep in mind that we're talking about a scale of millions of years so it's quite a long time yeah i just i wanted to make that clear so when you say it's only found in like the horn of africa they're around ethiopia Mm -hmm. and Anamensis is found in Eastern Africa is it i have the 21 bits of Anamensis been found in kind of a wider geographic range I think it's sort of Ethiopia and the and the Turkana Basin. Okay. Um, that's been a really rich fossil site for for these ancient species. So a lot of them have been found there. Yeah, I think I think it's a similar kind of radius of, of okay. where these these bits and pieces have been found. Yeah. 
Okay, I wasn't um, sure if it was like a semantic difference or if it was just like trying not to say the same things over and over and over. I think and, it. Yeah, I think it's just that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So the the most famous Australopithecus afarensis, I think probably most of our listeners will have at least heard of or maybe even seen, is Lucy. So this is the partial skeleton that's 3.2 million years old that was found by Donald Johansson. And then it, the, the famous story is that in celebration of their find, they, they had a cassette tape of the Beatles, Lucy, and this guy with diamonds, and they were playing it over and over um, as they were finding pieces of, of this skeleton. And we have about 40% of Lucy's skeleton. So there's there's big debate around how... Australopithecus afarensis may have walked or not. Some studies suggest, and because we have about 40% of the skeleton, we have things like the pelvis and the legs, even though they're in kind of fragmentary condition. People have done reconstructions and, and tried to kind of put her back together all in one piece and try and model how, how she would have walked. And so some studies suggest that afarensis was almost exclusively bipedal, and then other studies show that um, they were maybe still partly living in trees. So the the, ad, the anatomy of the hands and the feet and the shoulder joints in many ways look as if they're still adapted for climbing, for sort of reaching and swinging and, and having very strong grip. In particular, the, the way the scapula is, that's the shoulder blade, that appears to be very ape-like and very different from modern humans. And also uh, the curvature of the finger and toe bones kind of looks like modern day apes. And so that's still in the sort of grasping and climbing rather than the way that we use our hands and feet for, for walking and for just sort of fine tool use and things like that, grasping, but not grasping branches. Could it um, be? Could it be like... Could they do both? Is it like an either or? Are Very you either possibly. being arboreal or are you like cruising around on two legs? It's it's but, a question of specialization. So it's like where okay. you're spending most of your time. So yeah, you could still be a good climber. But so the really cool thing about um, Lucy and Afarensis is that the big toe on the foot has moved. So picture a monkey's foot if you can or Google if you, if like you need to. A monkey's paw. No, not the spooky, spooky story that scarred me forever in like fourth grade. I hated that story. <laughs> yep. We had to watch the video. It was awful. No, a real, a real monkey's foot. They have a big toe that is similar in placement to where our thumb is on our hand. It's moved down the foot. Whereas our big toe yep. is in line with the other, all the other little piggies, right? Yep. So, yeah, and you're in, missing a lot of really great. Like pantomime over here. <laughs> I am. I'm, we'll have to. F we can film it I'm later climbing. for our listeners. I'm. I'm. <laughs> I'm doing excellent space work. <laughs> Great for an audio podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Good work. Um, so in in Afarensis, the big toe no longer has this sort of grasping power. It's closer in structure and in lineup to how our big toes are, and so that means a big loss of ability to grasp with the foot and. Um, suggests that afarensis was on its way to habitual bipedal walking and no longer completely adapted for climbing. Okay. So um, that's a really cool thing to notice. Like it's a big jump evolutionarily. Yeah. And so remember back to our episode about ancient footprints, mm -hmm. um, the Lytoli footprints. Mm -hmm. Are they these guys? Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
Okay. Good job. Thanks. So, okay. So, you know how when you meet a baby, <laughs> you pulled out your finger. This, this is relevant, like, everyone. <laughs> everyone, we promise. The baby, like, grabs onto it. Babies are very mm-hmm. grabby. Um, they are and very grabby little things. So, okay. So, babies are really, like, they're big into grasping onto things because that's something we've done forever. That's yep. what I'm told. And so, like, yeah. little babies had to, like, hang on to their moms. Um, right? Yeah. What's that about? What? I don't meet <laughs> so a lot you're... of babies. So <laughs> I haven't asked them. What you're talking about is called a palmer grasp reflex. Um, sometimes oh, just called the grasp some, reflex. To get some lemonade? An Arnold Palmer grasp reflex? Oh my God. <laughs> right? That's a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm leaving it in. Oh no. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's on the internet forever. <laughs> But okay. this is really cool. So you have your Arnold Palmer grasp mm. reflex. No, it's it's a primitive reflex. So so get this: a fetus can exhibit this reflex in utero as early as sixteen weeks into the gestation period. So if you put your finger into someone's <laughs> uterus, the baby's gonna grab onto it. Well, basically, as soon as as soon as this fetus has little hands, yeah, it or at least hand neurons, they. This reflex exists, and the reflex persists until the baby is five or six months old. So, basically, and that's when they need to like let go of mom and get a job. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so when you when you place an object or or your finger, whatever, in an infant's hand and and kind of stroke the palm, the fingers will close reflexively. This is a very strong grip, but it's unpredictable. It may be able to support the child's weight. It really, it truly is a very very strong grip, but the baby's because it's not a reflex that is used anymore. It's sort of not all the way there still. So the grip is unpredictable. It may <laughs> just release suddenly without warning. Okay. And so, so, so you're telling the, people don't try to pick up your baby with your finger. Yeah. And also, okay. if you are ever stuck in a baby's grasp <laughs> and, you, and you, you can't get out, you uh, the reverse motion of the reflex can be induced by stroking the back or side of the hand. Are you sure so just, you're not thinking about alligators? <laughs> just stroke that alligator. No, no, I no. thought this like you stroke them under the this chin, is... and they're like, "Oh, that's nice." Okay. I mean, the baby might like that too, but so, if you want so to release they're... the reflex, pet their hand. So that's something that we keep from from our from our tree days. We just have it as a baby. Well, because we don't really need it, and so the brain discontinues neural pathways that it doesn't use eventually. And so, if a baby were in fact needing to hang on to its mother's fur, like mm-hmm. like a chimp baby, mm-hmm. that reflex would would stay in use but since we are naked apes and we okay. don't really have fur to cling on to and the baby doesn't that's not how we carry our babies around so if i ever um, have a baby the baby doesn't need it i'm just gonna wear that fur that faux fur jacket i have all the time and yep. that baby better hold on and then my baby will grow into a person that can grasp really hard a champion rock climber yeah is that yes i mean Free what you're saying too. <laughs> what what you're describing is very very close to a set of experiments that was conducted in the 1890s because yes. you could do that back then. <laughs> so there was there was a Dr. Robinson who um <laughs> basically just suspended babies from a walking stick and measured how long they could hang on. And I should say that this was with nurses in attendance kind of holding their hands out. On, I mean it's not great. It's not great. It's it not a great look. With a walk. So he's like out on a walk. And he's like <laughs> he comes across a nurse Pushing her babies in a, a param, param, a pram, a perambulator. Yeah. Yep, a perambulator. Yes, that's what we call them. Okay. I mean, we don't. <laughs> Hang on, let me adjust my monocle. Yes. 
Um, but but the uh, the babies hung on for a really long time. It was up to two minutes thirty five seconds was the yes. champ. And I have found for you, you can watch it at your discretion, but there's a, a YouTube clip of a video from 1932 of two twins and there a doctor is sort of latching them onto a stick and measuring. And one of the twins kind of like falls off immediately and is caught and the other one hangs is on. It? So oh. no, no, no. Oh no. Oh no. No. Both babies are fine and safe. And well, not they, now. Um, who knows who knows where they are now those babies but, might be very aged oh my god let's find them <laughs> well uh in any case we will post that along with our show notes okay so baby humans are kind of afarensisy they're hominid yeah, sure in that one um, trait yeah <laughs> yeah well okay so australopithecines are hominins so yes, they are. shouldn't they be more humany like, what makes afarensis distinct from all these other kids we've talked about? Okay, so the most important thing for me to say here is that it's a it's a gradient of evolution, but this is human isn't an endpoint. So there is no grand design of evolution leading to us as the goal species. And so these ancestral species of ours that we're talking about were adapted for their environment and their needs, and. Evolution got us where we are today, and, and it's a result of this impossibly complex combination of environmental pressures, genetic mutations, and who knows what else. And so we can look back and see the genesis of these human traits, but we can't think that they are leading up to us in some way. So Afarensis is more human. Well, no, Afarensis is comparably more human than the earlier hominins. So, like that big toe movement from from monkey foot towards human yeah, foot. Yeah, big that's toe very movement. Important. Yeah, yeah, they were at Coachella this year. <laughs> they had that big toe energy. Yeah. Oh. But <laughs> but one other thing that we think might have been a trait of Afarensis is stone tools, and that's that's a very humany thing. The use of tools. There, there was a study in 2010 that suggests that uh, afarensis may have eaten meat by using stone implements to carve animal carcasses. So it's unknown whether they hunted these animals or, they, or maybe they were scavenging. But this pushes back the earliest use of stone tools way, way back. Stone tools is something that we'll get into on our final episode, but um, that's really important. And will you tell me then or can you tell me now what good it does a being to use stone implements on carving animal carcasses well it means you can get the meat without needing to use your hands or teeth so okay it's much easier to get at that delicious delicious meat okay mm -hmm. but they're not like preparing it any in any way we don't know oh probably spicy. not okay so we're gonna put a a pin in stone tools Mm-hmm. Okay. So next up, we have Australopithecus africanus. And this was the first early species to be found on the continent of Africa, and hence the name. Hey, you remember when we started this podcast? Remember episode two of this this very podcast? If you don't, don't go back. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten real microphones since then. If you yeah. if you already love us, then... Maybe go back. Read the yeah, show notes. They're good. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. So the Tong child was Australopithecus africanus. Um, okay. And so this species dates to 3.3 to 2.1 million years ago. And just like 
their predecessors Afarensis, Africanus had a mix of human and ape characteristics. So their lower limbs were built for walking, but the shoulders and arms and hands were still adapted for climbing. There was a particular specimen that I wanted to mention. This is, this is an Afarensis specimen found in 2000, and it's the skeleton of a three-year-old Australopithecus Afarensis female, and it was the entire skull and torso and most parts of the limbs, and it was discovered in Dikika, Ethiopia, which was a few miles from where Lucy was found. So these are the same species. And so the features of this skeleton suggested adaptation to walking upright as well as tree climbing, so that's a match for this specimen and Lucy. I just, I, I thought this was very nice. Um, this individual was named Salam, which means peace in Amharic, which is the, the language spoken in Ethiopia. Um, and I have a colleague who has worked a lot on Salam and about uh, how hominins walk and how you can tell whether hominins walked or not. So it's very cool. So I think he listens to this podcast. Hi, Peter. Hello, Peter. <laughs> so... How many examples of any given hominin are there? Because, you know, earlier you were saying that there's only like 21 bits of... Australopithecus anamensis. Yep. There's there's only 21 bits of an Australopithecus anamensis. The, like, there's more... We got part of a Lucy. We got part of a Salam. We've got like a skull of an Africanus. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, so <laughs> it's it's truly patchworky. It's very, very much bits and pieces. And if you want to know and, and see exactly which fossils have been found of what species, you can go to the Smithsonian Human Origins website. And then each species has a handy and searchable guide to all of the specimens that have been found. But it, it's very, very small numbers for everybody. Fortunately, there are lots of skulls, so that's good because a lot of the morphology that differentiates the different species is in the skull. And so that's a great part to find. And, you know, there's a, like a smattering of body parts here and there. Do we have more skulls because the, the bone of skull is better disposed to preservation or just because if you're like, like you know, digging something up and you see bits of bone you're like whatever but you see something that looks like a skull you're like ah! i think maybe it's a combination is that, of that is it both is it neither well the thing is okay. i i know human and animal skulls like a lot of the cranium is very fragile so like the brain case mm-hmm. but i i do know that some of the facial structures of these, of these hominids like, were, were very thick and robust so it, it may be a combination of some of the structures mm. of the skull preserve very well and and so they get found more often but yeah also probably there is some bias of uh you know paleoanthropologists looking for skulls which you would wouldn't you well yeah and i guess i was thinking also about like non paleoanthropologists oh being able to like recognize somebody... like oh that's a skull yeah pick like what happened with the Tong child where they're like, it's a skull. And they just thought it was a, like a, a monkey. Like a, what was it? Like a macaque skull? Yeah. I think, yeah, like I think it was like something... some kind of fossil baboon. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you think, you know, whatever. But if somebody's out out in their field, then they might call someone. Yeah. I was just I was thinking about I'm real. You know, I'm the, the, like the average... clearly still really hung up on like why we only find them here as if, in Africa. Like, yeah, and like even in these these part like in the Turkana Beza and like Basin and they're in like these sort of like washed out like in like dry washes mm-hmm. in these areas. Because that's where they were. Yeah. I no. <laughs> like I that's know, the, but somehow the best answer like, I can give it you. feels like it's it should be more complicated than that's where they were, but that's that's probably the perfect answer. It's just like that's where they were. 
It's strange to think about a world in which there weren't people all over it. it yeah, I think is I think, what I'm really yep. stuck on. Like, it's strange to think about a world before people in it. Yeah. Our next and maybe last Australopithecus specimen, and I'll explain what that means in a second, is Australopithecus garhi. What's that mean? Uh, the species epithet garhi means surprise in the local FR language. Really? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Australopithecus surprise. <laughs> so <laughs> this this species what's lived... surprising about it? Oh, they they were surprised to find it. Oh, I think that's why they gave it that name. Uh, it was found uh, in 1996 by a research team led by Berhane Asfa and Tim White. And so these, I mean, it's a it's surprising because they they found it and they were like, oh, but um, also <laughs> this. This species is supposed to be maybe a transitional stage between Australopithecus and Homo. So that's equally exciting, if not surprising. So this species lived around two and a half million years ago, and specimens have been found in eastern Africa again. And this species had large teeth and, and a face kind of like Australopithecus afarensis, but with dental features a little bit more human-y. Um, we only have a fragmentary skeleton of this species because of course, but we have a femur, which is longer than that of Lucy's, which means uh, probably evolution towards favoring bipedal walking. Uh, but Australopithecus garhi still had those powerful arms and shoulders, so I guess we hadn't abandoned the trees quite yet. Surprise! Whoa! We're in trees. Or it's, or it's like or a casserole. Like jacked. It could be. Oh. But what if it's like a casserole? It's like Australopithecus surprise. <laughs> Australopithecus and like mayonnaise. Oh no. <laughs> With like Fritos on top. Yep. That's what it would be. Oh, it is an Austra it is a southern ape. It would be a casserole. Oh. Oh, full circle. <laughs> now I can't cut that part out. <laughs> uh. Okay, so there are other Australopiths that we're gonna talk about. But we get into kind of a swamp of semantics and naming. We're entering a debate that I'm going to call Paranthropus or nah. Remember I mentioned... So these just did like two-year programs? <laughs> they didn't like sit the bar? They didn't get their full degree. Yeah. Um, okay. No, this is much more climate related. So you remember when I, up uh -huh. at the top, I talked about how Africa became a lot less forest and a lot more savanna. So... Mm -hmm. This probably influenced the evolution of species that are still in the Australopithecine family, but that people, um, some anthropologists call Paranthropus because they exhibit uh, facial features um, that are distinct enough from other species of Australopiths that they're calling them a different group because it's clear that they... Um, evolved because of different environmental um, conditions. So the genus Australopithecus evolved in Eastern Africa around 4 million years ago and then spread throughout the continent, becoming two different groups. And so these different species emerged with these similarities and differences that evolutionary biologists continue to argue about. And so this is, these are groups that are the robust versus the gracile Australopiths. So this split happened around 2 million mm -hmm. years ago. 
And when I say robust versus gracile, I am not talking about their body characteristics. I'm only talking about characteristics of their skulls and face. So robust means sort of beefier, heavier, chunkier. Gracile is is more delicate. So robust Australopith characteristics include a massive jaw and teeth, something called a sagittal crest, which is um, a crest of bone along the middle line of your skull. So kind of like kind of like a fin on a car, like a Thunderbird fin, but along the midline of your yeah, skull. Yeah, it's, it's, like it's like sports teams, like with names like Spartans or Trojans or whatever, they have... Oh, yeah, they have uh, the, the Trojan the, helmet guy. Because that's that's what the sagittal crest means, because yes. it's for like the, the archer. Mm-hmm. Um, I met someone with a sagittal crest. A human? Yeah. Really? And I met him shortly after I took Anthro 101, so I still knew what one was. And like, did it come up in like conversation? He was, was like, "Hi, I'm Tom. Um, I have no, a sagittal crest." No, I pointed crest. at it and yelled, "You have a sagittal crest." Um, Are you sure he had one? Because, yeah, because Homo sapiens really t- super doesn't have one. No, he had he had one. Okay, I believe you. Like, like I don't know if like it was a it was like a bone ridge along. Like running from like the front to the back. That's that's super interesting. Very interesting. Well, okay, isn't it? So the the purpose of that. So um, gorillas have that, <laughs> and and these uh, these paranthropines have it because it is a site of muscle attachment. So these massive cheek and jaw and neck muscles for chomping through heavy vegetation. Um, need somewhere to attach. And so the skull has an extra growth of bone for that to happen. So um, they also have, uh, these robust australopiths also have large cheekbones. And again, that's because uh, their face structure is geared towards big chomping muscles. So this is related to a diet of tubers and tough vegetation, which is directly correlated to the climate in Africa shifting to a hotter, more arid, more savanna climate, becoming less forested in many areas. So the local populations, especially down um, in southern Africa, evolved to a grassland diet. So they needed to chomp through grasses and roots and, like, sticks. I don't know. So they needed these big okay. muscles. And so, but otherwise, big teeth. They're, they're sort of, their lives were the same, so other parts of them didn't didn't deviate yeah and also between the gracile and the robust yeah and as far as we know we've really only got good cranial specimens for these guys maybe there's bits and pieces here and there of the body but we can extrapolate enough to know that their bodies were relatively similar but there were these major changes in in skull features so but it's not it's not like an issue of um sexual dimorphism it may Is be it something that, where like so that's, you got these like bulky dudes, yeah. So that's, and like gracile ladies, or vice versa. I don't need to push our no. <laughs> norms onto the australopiths. Yeah, that's one of the major arguments. Is so in in primates still today existing primates, and in a lot of these early um, hominins, we see examples of sexual dimorphism, which is where males and females exhibit different physical characteristics, and one of the main things that seems to be the case for modern primates is the males tend to be quite a lot bigger and they have these things like distinct sagittal crests and uh, big old chompers. So, so some of the arguments are that these specimens that we found that exhibit these, these features 
um, and we don't have enough body parts to sex them. We don't know if they are male or female for sure, and they are mineralized fossils, so we can't DNA test. Um, right. So the question is, are we finding truly a different branch of this Australopithecine group, or are we finding the big beefy males, and is that why they're different? I don't have an answer for you. It's just these are traits that could either be um, climate-related and diet-related or, yeah, one of the – It's that's or generally they, the more accepted all, argument. But. Right. Or, like, the, the norm for the species is to be robust, but there's some kind of musculoskeletal issue, like a pathological um, – specimen meaning that meaning that that's the gracile one more delicate but we yeah. found a lot of, there are a lot of oh, okay relatively a lot like more than one or two there are enough okay gracile australopith remains to suggest that that it's not a fluke okay so we do have plenty of them yeah so again um go to that smithsonian human origins page and take a look at what specimens i feel like we you're have. speaking specifically to me now <laughs> to the listener but yes you in your spare time go look at the pictures because well because then you'll have a much better idea of what we're working with so um yeah we have even smaller amounts of information on these paranthropines which is why there's so much debate about them because we have so little information okay. so there's, and so there's these three... are the real paranthropus not mm-hmm. the uh, like these species have okay. been defined as they are australopiths so this is this okay. is the sticking point. They are australopiths. They are referred to by many uh, anthropologists as this separate name, indicating they are the robust australopiths. So paranthropus and robust australopiths, as you would say, same same. Okay. 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 So we have paranthropus okay. ethiopicus. Guess where that one was found? Um, Ethiopia. Correct. And yes. it and it uh, they lived two point seven to two point three million years ago. So in eastern Africa. We have Paranthropus boise, kind of like Idaho, but not quite. Um, and that boise, boise, hey, uh, and they lived about two point three to one point two million years ago in Eastern Africa. And this is cool because if they were in Eastern Africa at that time, they would have existed alongside a species we're going to talk about next week, Homo erectus. So they would have they would have coexisted in this in maybe the same space. And then finally, we have Paranthropus robustus. And they lived 1.8 to 1.2 million years ago in southern Africa. So this is different. This is a species that has made its way all the way down to the Cape area, the south, southern, southern Africa. So those are, I mean, I wish I had more information for you about the Paranthropines, but um, they're a tantalizing mystery. And, and with that, uh, titillating detail we'll leave the discussion of the members of the genus homo so those are those are our next phase so we've we've gone through from 145 million years all the way up until right before the very first of our ancestors in the same genus Um, and so that's going to be for episode three when the traits that we think of as human really begin to add up and populations begin to spread out of africa and to the rest of the world right Wow. Okay. Great. This is very exciting. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Oh, I thought you were going to say thank you to me for being your Sherpa through all of that. No, thank you for being my, you're one of my favorite hominins. Oh. We hope that everybody's enjoying this series and um, be sure to recommend it to anyone you know who might be taking or teaching 
physical anthropology or human evolution. So yeah. It could be helpful. We, we, um, that's our, that's our goal. We want this to be helpful. We want you to be able to sort of learn along with us yeah, as we stumble and, through and, all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can find us as always on SoundCloud, on the Apple podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, um, do us a solid and leave us a rating or a review to help even more people find us. You can go follow us over on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we are at The Dirt Pod. And we also have an additional special request to make of you. BuzzFeed just released a request for podcasts to put on their podcast list 2019. And so if you would like to help us out in a huge way, you can recommend us to BuzzFeed. You can email your suggestion to scott.brian, so S-C-O-T-T -T dot B-R-Y-A-N at buzzfeed.com. And make sure the subject line includes the word podcast. That's until January 18th. And we would super appreciate a recommendation from all of you. That would be amazing. Yeah. And if you are a part of the BuzzFeed family over there, of the community, um, uh, if you saw the post that we shared on Facebook, you can also answer in the comments on the the BuzzFeed, the, the post that's, yeah. that's announcing this. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, if you really want to put it out there so everybody can see your love of, of the dirt, that's great too. Yeah. If you want to find us on the internet, you can do that at thedirtpod.com. You can also shoot us an email if you want to tell us how great we are at thedirtpodcast like at gmail.com. Finally, you can support us on Patreon. You can become a monthly subscriber or a single-time donor, and either way, we would be extremely grateful. Thanks for you, listening. You are all our favorite hominins. Aw. Yeah. Aw. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.